The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Futures are solid out for that 2% gain on Friday and setting up for a very busy week. A third of the S&P reports this week, including some big industrials, mega cap tech, and we'll get our first look at Q4 GDP. Our roadmap begins with Salesforce, though. Elliott turning its attention there, taking a multi-billion dollar activist stake in the company. We'll get details. Plus, the layoffs in the technology sector continue to pick up steam. Spotify is the latest company to cut its staff. And despite a rough 2002 for the broader markets and many funds, Citadel posted a $16 billion profit for its investors last year. That's the biggest dollar gain by a hedge fund in history. Let's begin with the markets today. The Dow is trying to bounce back from its worst week since September of 2022. Uh, Jim, a lot of discussion about weaker dollar maybe helping. S&P tends to trade better after options expire. Yeah, I think that's true, but there's also a very poignant piece by Mike Wilson about how at the end of these bull market phases within bear markets, you get a lot of junk that goes up. Uh, I don't regard uh, the, let's say, second-tier semiconductors as uh, junk or the software companies, some of which were pushed today. What I do say is that, yes, there's been some speculative juices, and I'm not going to dismiss what's happened uh, with crypto, which is back. Best day uh, since uh, August. Yes. Yeah. And I know that the metals, which are uh, late stage of a rally, are back. And David, you could argue that underperforming companies right now are under attack. And that's also the end, the ones that didn't participate in this rally. And you're thinking of when you say that? I'm thinking of Salesforce. Yeah, we're gonna we're, we got a lot to talk about on on that. I don't want to jump the no, and you've got obviously a lot of insight. I've got some reporting to share as well. But um, you have been saying, however, stay away from your what were your high multiple once high growth technology names. This is not the market for that yet. You still believe that? Yes, unless you take radical action, uh, and that does not include say twelve thousand five hundred people from. Alphabet, after they've added a huge number of people, does not include uh, just the 10% cut at Salesforce when they, were, they added 49,000 people just a few years ago and they took, the, took it up more than 50%. So what I would say is no, I still favor the industrials uh, because the industrials have infrastructure ahead, they have weaker dollar ahead, and they have China ahead. Uh, whereas these companies, the software companies and big tech tend to have other than Apple, not much China. So they lose what I regard as being the tailwind that the big guns have in the industrials. Carl, look, the industrials are relatively easy. They all sell for less than 20 times earnings. But you have these uh, software companies that are still selling it at sales. Uh, And I'm not as interested in those. Your point of China is really good. Mike Wilson today says the median company in our universe derives 0% of revenue from China. So it's going to help Nike, Las Vegas Sands, Apple... Uh, visa, but it's not going to be enough to help the overall environment. No, and I think that there's also a sense that China 
has enough uh, pull to be able to have oil go higher, which I, the oil stocks, a lot of people are still liking the large ones more than the Permian ones because, uh, uh, you know, you saw Fang got, got a curious downgrade today. Yes. Uh, it, you know, I just think that when you look at something like that, you have to say, well, do we really just want to go international? And the answer is yes, because I think people feel that these companies are much more attuned to, to China than Diamondback. Um, you want to talk a little Salesforce now? It's, uh, it's I'm, probably I'm worth doing so. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's funny, Jim, because you and I have talked about it for weeks, if not months. Really, it was last fall when Jeff Smith on our show unveiled that position in Salesforce, yes. of, course, of course, Starboard, talking about at the time wanting to see the company generate more meaningful operating leverage relative to peers, the fact that it hadn't. You've been mentioning on air three activists being there. Now we know one of them is Elliot. No, that's four activists. Four. Actually, you're right. It's four. Um, Have you ever seen that before? I, no. Um, one, of them, one of them, I would argue, is not fully an activist at this point. I agree with that. Um, what is going on here, I guess, is the bigger question. I can, you know, you have some, the, the, uh, the nominating window opens about a month from now. Right. Not a staggered. Not a staggered board. There is obviously pressure on Benioff, not just in terms of operating margins, not just in terms of Jim getting, what was it, you know, getting to the 30% operating margin by 2025, and that includes stock-based comp, but also making sure he's got a succession plan. And the question becomes... Where does all that stand? Who is he listening to? My reporting indicates he hasn't really talked very much to Elliot at this point, no, even though they have the largest single position he hasn't. Uh, of these numerous activists. But you could argue from their point of view, well, why hasn't he? Well, because he's a dominant force at Davos. And in some ways, that's the problem, I believe, with a place like Elliot. They're not looking for a dominant force at Davos. What they're looking for is someone who can produce better earnings. And a board that is far more focused on earnings, I believe, than a board that is focused on uh, larger issues of how to improve trees. And I'm not insulting Mark by that, because you know I think Mark's done an unbelievable job. And you guys have I a think, long and deep right, relationship. And that's true. It's not about friends. It's about money. But it, is, it will be hard for me to say that. I've done a number of charity projects with Mark, so it's just not – I can't just say no, – you, you can't know, just divorce that. Right. right. But I will say this. I, I think to some degree – the last acquisition, Slack, tough one. The integration, not perfect. The uh, buyback, I felt, was very good. I did feel that, that Mark was very responsive to Starboard instantly. And Jeff, Jeff Smith, very good rapport. But uh, Peter Fell, very good rapport. But David, I think that when I look at what Elliot, who Elliot is, I'm not saying I know what Elliot's up to, but I wonder what they think that Mark is the right person to run the company at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, how they view that. I think their hope, my guess is their hope is to have more of a conversation, figure it out. You know, uh, there's a massive to the business. There's a massive operational improvement plan that many believe needs to go into effect, even more so than the laughs that have taken place and the margin improvement they, that they have already identified or at least did in their investor day and a few other places not not see, being seen as enough. Um, you know, perhaps a lack of trust in the company. And then... Yeah, so it's both operate better, right. improve profitability, maybe move away from an M&A strategy that seems to take precedence over all else, and then really have a meaningful succession plan in place. Now, again, someone else familiar with one of the other activists telling me that's sort of 
they're looking at a two-year time period under which, you know, Mark needs to find a successor, a real successor. I think that it's safe to say that Elliott doesn't have that level of patience. I also think that that last acquisition, Slack, may be viewed, and that's, the, of course, competitor to teams, uh, as a bridge too far. But can I just say this? Salesforce is an amazing company. And they have triumphed over many different people in terms of, uh, of winning big accounts. Now, do they have too many people on an account? I would argue yes, because it's been very difficult for Mark to fire. But Brett Taylor, the co-CEO who's leaving, was supposed to do that. But was it because he was trying to do it that Mark and he sort of ran into some issues together? Or was it because Mark felt like he wasn't doing it enough? Look, Which is I, it? I asked directly uh, during, during Salesforce, I said to Brett, Brett, if you're going to defeat Elon Musk as the chairman of Twitter, how do you have time to spend on Salesforce? And he said, it's not even a problem. Well, I'm not sure about that. And I'll tell you one thing, Mark sure wasn't ready for him to quit. Right, right. There Do you think that they, you know, again, that was a succession plan? No, I know it was, and it it, it failed. Um, it and obviously, failed. Keith Block had been the previous co-CEO right. for what was not a particularly long period of no. time, and also seen He's as more somebody of a sales guy, more of a sales guy. But. Do you believe Mark is, is, is focused on and dedicated to improving profitability and, mar- and, and margins and therefore profitability I, I in the you, way that these activists will be happy with or, f- or feel as though I don't need to challenge for the It's board. a great question. But, you know, in football, it's win or go home. This could be win and go home because it's not quite sure to me that he doesn't want to go out on the absolute top. He would rather go out like Elway. You know, absolute top. I'm going to Disney World, which is an account that he's brought in. I hope that they listen to him. You know, Carl, look, it's really difficult. He is the founder. It's his company. He's amazing. And it's very difficult to see him under siege. But it's really the model that's under siege, which is not to use it. It's an Ohana model. Mm. And let's not laugh at Ohana's. Oh, that's right. No, part of the culture there. That's yes, for sure. the right. And that, uh, has, that has fared them well until totally this well. most recent decline. Yeah. Uh, Certainly one of the names that have been rewarded lately for reducing headcount. And that takes us to Spotify today, uh, the latest tech company to lay off employees, reducing headcount by about 6%. Stocks higher, as you can see. In his note, Daniel X says, quote, like many other leaders, I'd hope to sustain the strong tailwinds from the pandemic and believe that our broad global business and lower risk to the impact of a slowdown in ads would insulate us. In hindsight, I was too ambitious in investing ahead of our revenue growth. Also, uh, Don Ostroff, one of the maybe the most powerful person uh, in streaming as far as podcasts go, going to leave and become a senior advisor. Extraordinary. I remember when she was brought in and I heard she was about Hollywood. And now, David, I think they may think she's about old Hollywood, that there is a belief that other than Joe Rogan, there has not been an effective, uh, let's say, uh, talk radio, so to speak. And this is a tough move. Because Eck is very much involved with now more of a strategist and the co-presidents they bring in seem like nuts and bolts people. Yeah. I mean, it was it was here at this desk that Daniel Eck really in, uh, introduced the podcast strategy yes. and, and told his shareholder base, we're going to be spending a lot of money on this because we believe this is going to be a growth business. That's a number of years ago. And it's not clear that that has worked. No, I, I think they paid too much for people. I think that's the Ostra problem. By the way, Carl, I've got to tell you. I'm minimizing this. Ostrup was brought in for pizzazz. And uh, Joe Rogan is not necessarily, uh, he's kind of antithetical to a pizzazz view. 
but I, I hesitate to say that the people that they spent otherwise, even perhaps the Obamas, I think that it, it, too much for too little. And I think that Spotify is correctly up because they're going back to their initial knitting, which was darn dominant. Right. So I, I, I think this is a correct uh, increase in price. So after uh, CRM and Microsoft and Wayfair double upgrade today, which we'll get to, and now Spotify, green light for companies yes. who want to cut headcount. I think what's so interesting is, is that Wayfair was a double, double cutback. You know, first they tried and it looked like there was enough. Then second, they got it right. So you go sell to buy. David, I keep thinking about the analog here, which is Salesforce. They did one cut. Obviously, every activist wants another cut. That's not easy for someone who announced a gigantic buyback and fired a lot of people when they are not of the firing kind. But if you want your stock to go up permanently, you take the wood. I mean, the Wayfair uh, cuts were the kind that I think a lot of people wanted Amazon to do. They wanted alphabet. Percentage-wise, because obviously headcount-wise, the numbers are not that no. great. But we should point out percentage of the workforce right. more significant. And, you know, one of the things I think that is hard for tough to believe Alphabet, I'm not saying they picked the names out of the hat because Alphabet's a great company. But it does it seem to be that they didn't necessarily do them as targeted as I thought. Just, just they, across the globe. Exactly. I know. It, Where, it, whereas you know. Mark Zuckerberg, who is still the benchmark of uh, the Grim Reaper, uh, just kind of just said, you know what? You didn't produce a lot of revenue. Uh, so I don't I want to sh- shift over a little more to reels. I really don't want to be with you. Where? And then there's the guy we're going to talk about after the break. Elon Musk, who basically says, you, the guy in the middle seems to be doing okay. Those two people on either side, see you later. Well, you know, the more people you fire, the better it is. It's getting very okay. difficult. Actually, I think it's four people. I'll take that guy who's yeah. kind of in and the middle, or girl. Price, cuts price and now forces price cutting throughout the industry. I don't want to go against him. Brett Taylor is his yeah. only winner, and Brett Taylor should not be a big loser. It's true. He started with 8,000 employees at Twitter. He'll probably end up with about 500 that, that's incredible. It runs itself. Incredible. And when President, former President Trump comes back, can I say, <laughs> welcome home? <laughs> When's that June, right? Isn't it his non his thing with Truth Social when yes. he's well, no I, longer I, I is beholden not, to that? He's probably not happy with the do, uh, documenting garage classified document. Right? <laughs> he takes that one. We'll get to uh, some of the uh, Tesla news, of course. We'll get to the, that upgrade of Wayfair and a few others today, including uh, Shopify, uh, some downgrades of things like Levi. There's a, some uh, look at some of the drawings from Friday's appearance by Musk on the stand. Uh, a lot of data coming our way in the next few sessions as well. Take a look at futures. More Squawk on the Street in a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. 
You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Elon Musk took the uh, stand late Friday in that fraud trial over his uh, potential attempt to take Tesla private back in 2018. He testified that his tweets about that are not directly linked to Tesla's stock price. He told the court, quote, just because I tweet something does not mean people believe it or will act accordingly. Musk is going to take the stand yet again today. That's at 1130 a.m. Eastern. Lawyers are going to continue their questioning, guys. And uh, in fact, he was only on the stand for about 20 minutes on Friday. Today is going to be a longer time period for Mr. Musk. Does he have more, uh, let's say, respect for this part of the judicial system than he did for Delaware? I don't know, Jim. I don't know. Uh, his flip nature doesn't fly within the court of law. Uh, flip nature being exactly what I just heard from you, which is like, are you kidding me? Go get a real lawyer. Well, he's got a decent legal team. Uh, but, you know, the question will be back to that point. It's like, is what you tweet kind of material? Right. It's, it's kind of what it comes down to. Is that a material statement from the guy who's running the company and therefore should it be taken as such by the investing public? And if it, if it was, well, then it's deemed to have not been true. How could it Because the judge be? has already said that. Look, let's say you called the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and he said this. We would regard it as material. I think there are people who feel that Twitter is not material. That has been proven over and over again to not be the case. Twitter is recognized as a legitimate news source. And so, therefore, when you post something, Carl, when you post something on Twitter, as much as you think that Twitter may be the place where people battle over who's better, the Niners or the Eagles, it's also a, a news-breaking uh, center. And I think that a flip man may just say, you know what, I can say what I want because that's not the what I care about. I'm above what I guess would be regarded as the law. Well, we've been having this discussion since, really, Twitter exploded. Yes. Wouldn't you argue regulators have not demonstrated a view that it's material information that crosses the line? Well, I think that the SEC, the previous SEC, I think just said enough. We, we don't want to take them on. Uh, and, and that is, David, as you know, a way where the SEC would say, you know, we don't have that kind of power to do what you right. want us to do. And the Justice right. Department chose to look the other way. They did. Um, there is a lack of context on Twitter that might have been very important for Mr. Musk to have been able to afford himself um, in choosing to communicate in that fashion around that go private five years ago. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. Maybe it was a little more a time where things were a little more freewheeling. They were, but, yeah, you, you look, know. There was a sense, I mean, look, there well, was a sense that... We didn't all take it seriously well, at the say, time. I mean, it was like, you know, this first, is still an enormous company. He's going to need an enormous amount of money, which does go back to the other part of the tweet, funding secured. Right. Well, funding secured was definitely uh, raises the point. And David, you got to admit, do you remember on our network, people came on and said, oh, he's getting it too cheap. He's getting it too cheap. As if that 
Funny secured. It's going to be announced any minute, but he's not paying enough for his own company. That was a discussion. It wasn't, hey, you know what? That's not material. It's more like it a like, Ron Barron. It's worth a thousand. He's I stealing know. it. You know, I mean, I don't well, remember exactly what Ron said. By the way, they were right. Go. The stock is still up. Well, 450, right. 500, you know, enormous well, amount, and, even with the last year's yeah. plummet. Wires have a story this morning about the, the percentage of buy ratings now for Tesla on the sell side, highest in eight years. Almost. Well, I mean, I think Tesla is trying to. Uh, take everybody down by lowering prices. They have good gross margins. You know, there's no doubt about it. The guy is a superior manufacturer, total visionary, but he's stuck within the four walls of a, of a judiciary system that could bring anybody down just because it's just so, I mean, anyone who's ever caught up in it knows that it's all consuming. You don't go to work in the morning and say, I'm going to focus on Tesla. You go to work and say, oh, what are they going to cross-examine me on? I don't want to deal with this. The hell with this. And so the way he did the hell with this was he bought, you know, it's like when you see these people, the commercials say, I liked it so much I bought the company. Well, the company tends to be like a $240 million company. Well, it was, Remington, yeah. Remington's a Remington. Chancellor McCormick was such a serious person that I had to buy the entire company. Yeah. That's <laughs> really what yeah, it was. Well, yeah. that, t- that state turned out to be more than a yes. tiny little thing. Yes. Coming up this morning, Kramer's Mad Dash will count down to the opening bell. Some interesting uh, headlines from Microsoft this morning, doubling down on their investment in open AI. Future's pretty steady here. We'll get the opening bell in about eight minutes. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Starting the morning with futures uh, solidly in the green. You got the VIX back above 20. We're going to talk some energy this morning as well with uh, crude highest level now since December 5th. Opening bell in a few moments. And don't forget, you can catch us anytime, anywhere. Just listen to and follow the Squawk on the Street opening bell podcast. Welcome back. Time for a mad dash. We've got an opening bell about two and a half minutes from now. Uh, haven't talked about the semiconductor industry overall or the chips, and that's certainly a feature for you on the mad dash. Now. Yes, well, the estimates and the price targets have come down enough. That a Barclays call saying they like the components that, that you see these numbers. Qualcomm 120 to 150. AMD, which has been a very bad lagger, they're down from 170. They go from 70 to 85. Skyworks, they go up. But NVIDIA. Uh, 170 to 250, uh, in part because NVIDIA really close to being the center of AI. But these are big calls. And, David, they're not following off with the concomitant Apple. You would think that, well, wait a second. Everything that goes into Apple's going up. Why don't they raise numbers with Apple? But everyone's reluctant to do so. Uh, it's hard to raise all these different components without thinking that Apple's going to have a good year next year. But I'm not getting that sense at all. What is the... What is the- Main reason behind the call, then, is it a valuation call more than a growth call? Great question. No, it's an uh, end of the inventory glut for data center, end of inventory glut for handset, and, yes, the unimaginable PC, which had just a gigantic inventory glut. Now, these are all on 24. It's not on 23, but it's a way to get ahead of the inventory correction completion. Uh, you mentioned uh, hardware. Uh, Tony Saganaki, Bernstein today, note about the dollar, uh, arguing that 
earnings, if assuming this FX scenario that we now have, would be higher for the year by 2 to 4% above Q3 guidance. Well, what would be interesting then is that Salesforce would come in at 20 to 21. Well, his be, point is that dollar weakness tends to favor hardware over software. I know, but I, I, I like Tony, but Salesforce is, was the one that was most exposed. Uh, when you look at the international, these companies, I mean, look, I mean, Qualcomm has a lot of China. But uh, AMD has China, but NVIDIA has China, but I think the NVIDIA is so, um, David, NVIDIA is in your wheelhouse. You know that China was a big business for them. Yeah, without a doubt. Sure. I remember one quarter that they didn't hit guidance because of the slowdown in China. That was some time ago. No, it's it's a uh, very problematic situation for everyone in the dollar. And yes, but I would tell you, look, if you want dollar focus, go buy more. But Tony, of course, does not cover more. Let's get the opening bell here, start the week. Uh, CNBC Real-Time Exchange and the big board, Uranium producer Encore Energy, celebrating its listing on the NYSE American and the NASDAQ, based in China, uh, by Jayun, a real-time video com- communications uh, provider. China back. You know, Jim, Holy you mentioned you we were talking India last week, uh, and today an Indian ministry official says that um, Apple wants to create or assemble a quarter of their iPhones there, they're currently five to seven percent. I think it's very smart. Uh, Apple has a uh, made-in, buy-in philosophy in China. I also think that we saw the weakness in the China supply chain, and also, David, we're not going to stop. The United States has really cut off their high-end chips. Uh, and I think that they're, despite that excellent discussion that Andrew Ross Sorkin had about whether, where India sits politically with oil and Russia, that market is the best. Half the more than half the country is under 1.4 billion. They just passed China, and more than half the country is under 30. That's an Apple area. Could be. It's not an easy thing, though, to move significant amounts of production no, of the iPhone not. to another place. I mean, there is a lot of specificity and technological prowess that goes into being able to not just bring all your supply chains together, but actually put these things together. No, and it's not, no matter what it seems, uh, uh, Apple's not being rewarded, I think, Carl, because there's a belief that this quarter is just a weak quarter. Uh, Now, obviously, if you really think the currency has changed, you do, you get a better number. But what I think is dogging Apple over and over again is that it was a bad period for China because of COVID. And if that's the case, you should upgrade right now because COVID, when 900 million people have COVID, they're almost over Terrible to say it that way, but they are. Wow. I mean, as we said, Morgan Stanley highlights names like uh, Las Vegas Sands. I see Caesars today uh, beats estimates. Uh, apparently, Jim, the, the leisure economy is doing okay. Yes. Look, it's the Lunar New Year, and it's an incredible time. Uh, to go back to NVIDIA and what's going on with, with Microsoft, too, uh, this is not, I don't mean to be too glib here, but chat GBPT, if you go in and you ask for a haiku, to describe the Eagles Niners, as some have, David. 49ers march forward, Eagles soar in the sky, above tough battle ahead. That's haiku <laughs> demonstrated from chat GPT. Did you, uh, did you request that? A friend of mine who is a Niner fan, I think he actually said, put it in a way that, could you tell me a haiku for the Niners beating the Eagles? But you know what? He may be a Trojan horse, my friend. Tough battle ahead seems like the appropriate way to characterize it. Why don't we get, during the commercial, and slant a little more about what's it like to play the Eagles at home? GPT. Uh, By the way, uh, some of these headlines on Microsoft this morning, uh, doubling down on their investment in OpenAI, Jim. Uh, 
looking for a multi-year partnership as they try to make this a, a key part of, I guess, you're accessing the Internet. I think you have to. I mean, when you look at what could happen, let's take Bing, which I've always affiliated with not as good as, say, Bing Crosby, who was a tremendous crooner. He was. But he was. You, maybe if you could be able to ask Bing a serious question other than a second-rate question, maybe Bing is now part of the mix. Nadell is a very competitive guy. I have to. I wait for what Alphabet's going to do. Yeah. They have been very good at AI, and they've been very good at iterative AI. They've been quiet on it, but you have to imagine, particularly as you just outlined, that it could eventually be a threat to their business where you get a very sophisticated AI search, to your point available. How it could be that Alphabet would not be able to match that is seems hard to imagine. But we just don't know that much about their no. efforts. Um, we know they've spent a lot of money on it, had a lot of engineers after it. Well, I At some also, point they're going to have to tell us, aren't they, they are, Well, they, they have a lot of different divisions. Like, you know, at one point they had two different dueling healthcare divisions. That's not what they did have laid some people off in healthcare. Uh, Carl, I think that what what's interesting is you look at what Mark Benioff did to battle directly with a one-time friend, now not even friend of me, Microsoft. This deal for Slack was directly against Teams. I, I do not believe the activists think that Slack has been correctly integrated. Uh, Slack's as difficult to write off, say, as Fox would be to Disney, just to be able to poke, once again, a little bit of a finger into Disney's eye. I, I would say that Salesforce should be up more than that because there should be people who recognize that no matter what, the margins are going to get better at Salesforce, whether you believe it from another party, David, or from Starboard, yep. or, or when you believe it from Elliott Partners. They're all about the margins getting better and not having Oracle and SAP have better price to sales, which really is rather remarkable. So the idea that now a travel trust is on it forever, the idea it's only up to and change presumes that everybody is uh, part of the Ohana. And uh, that's not true. The Ohana ain't that big. No. Uh, you know, I'm looking back at the original deck from uh, Jeff Smith at Starboard, who was the first activist in at Salesforce. You may remember he broke that news with us uh, on CNBC during an interview we did. It was the last October, I think, um, talking about, you know, and in very positive ways, what he hoped would be a real embrace by the company of margin improvement and just simply making that basic point that they have a leading market share position across their many businesses, uh, but they don't make as much money as many of their peers do in those same businesses, uh, yeah. and talking about margins. I, uh, Jim, you, you have mentioned recently that there were a number of potential activists there. You, in fact, we had a conversation, I think, on Thursday or Friday, you said at least three. Yes. Now we know Elliot. I can also tell you that Jeff Ubbin, somebody I know very well, uh, who had already indicated, actually, at, I believe a CNBC event some time ago, that, that his firm, Inclusive Capital, owned a significant, for them, stake in the company, has been talking to Benioff as well. Um, you know, Ubin is somebody who's been on so many different boards, has been very focused on succession at those companies. Unclear what his presence here will mean, but it's yet another kind of activist. I, I wouldn't term Jeff a, you know, sort of a... No, but yeah, without a doubt, thoughtful. Obviously, somebody uh, who I've dealt with many times. In fact, most recently, of course, with his presence on the ExxonMobil board as somebody who was brought in uh, by an agreed-upon director when D.E. Shaw made that move years right. ago at this point on Exxon. But we still have a fourth activist there as well. Right. Uh, remember, Ubin had been a part of Value Act. It was his firm, but then he left, and he's obviously been more focused sort of uh, on his new firm, Inclusive Capital, which has really also been about things that Benioff cares about. Right. But there which will is have the environment, be ESG, right. companies doing well by doing better. I think that 
uh, some of these activists might feel that that is a little too much time spent on that, not enough time spent on nuts and bolts. So they'd be like a different board or at least much larger representation of the board yep. to bring more focus. I would say that Mark's a big thinker, but that Brett Taylor was possibly going to be a successor. I think all these people would like to see a successor. I'm not sure that Starboard might not want Mark to step up to executive chairman. I'm I, not sure Elliot has any plan yet. I don't think they do. Not, My sense on Elliot, and they're not sharing very much at all uh, at this point, other than a simple statement acknowledging right. that they do have a significant position. My sense and is they like, have not had a lot of conversations with him, Jim, but you cannot rule out the possibility here, which, of course, would be a, an interesting story of a proxy fight. That has to be something you have to consider here with the presence of all these activists, not to mention Elliot, which, of course, has not shied away from those potential proxy fights in the past. It wouldn't be so bad if Mark presented his own people that he would like that would be more in sync. Carl, one of the things that all of these activists say, and I want to stress this, and I know some people say that I am uh, too close to Mark. He's built an amazing company. The product, I've used the product twice in my career, and the numbers, that the lift that you get, so to speak, is, is extraordinary. I don't think that what he's accomplished should be lost because it's not lost on Elliott. It's not lost on Starboard. What they are all saying is, okay, given how superior the product is, the company should be making more money per that. I don't even know if Mark would disagree with that. I think he's actually kind of fascinated that very smart people are intrigued about the company and want to, um, David, you may disagree with this characterization, help him make more money. No, I think, I think, I think that's the way they would approach it with him. Yes. I don't know what his posture is going to be about whether they're serious in that. He is, he is Salesforce. And by the way, I talked to another very large activist this morning who chose not to focus on Salesforce, had hired consultants and looked at it and said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not sure Benioff really is ever going to stop doing what he likes to do, keeping spending and keep disappointing. Now, those are well, harsh that, words. That's true. Those are harsh words. But he said, and by the way, we're not going to push him out. He's Benioff. He's, he's bigger than life. He's, this is his company, and there's no way that you're going to sort of be able to Can get a lot of it. an analog to a founder who's been able to sustain his or her position after an attack of a multi-phalanx of activists. I can't remember anything quite like this. Avon? <laughs> she wasn't a founder. And by the way, that was not, this is a $150 billion market cap. Oh, oh no, absolutely. Look, um, Carl, there's, a, there's an element to Benioff that is a magnet for clients. But does he make enough money per client? Does he have too many people on each account? Does he have an A team and B team? I think that's possible, and maybe the B team needs to go. The C team's going right now. Yeah, your your point about the the pressure he's under is well told in this downgrade of uh, Zoom today, for example. MKM says uh, companies that adopted a bunch of different applications are going to streamline. They go to neutral, 75 target. And that's not looking at the seat count dynamic as well. Uh, as companies cut back workforces overall. Eric Yuan's good friends with Mark. I actually question whether Zoom wouldn't be a good acquisition. I know that you would have to pay too much. For this. <laughs> you don't get you do another deal? No, no. I, <laughs> that, it's like, all right. Now, all right there forget is everything else I said. There you should a, buy Zoom. Okay, okay. I, I think it's slack to go. No, I am more. All right, it's not humorous, but I'm just saying that Mark needs to find a way to have video uh, to be more 360, which would be which would be Zoom, but no, I mean Zoom's probably out of the question. Video is 80 percent of Zoom. I, I, yeah. But those apps, you, all right. I gotta be tread carefully. My stepson yes. was directly involved with the apps. 
And uh, once he left, he shared me, shared with me the apps, and I think they're excellent. But then again, uh, periodically my wife watches the show. No, they are excellent, and I think that that. But but I have to tell you, that company, David, didn't had a merger that was very distracting. And I'm not saying that from a, he's my stepson would never can be. Yeah, anything. but it didn't happen. No, well, but it was got voted time down. Consuming. It was without a doubt distracting. As is, by the way, a proxy fight. Um, Speaking of, guys, to come back to pure, more pure M&A, although that unsolicited bid, remember last week? It's one I'm following here, a number of, uh, of course. Oh, my uh, God, you're going Emerson, aren't you? Yeah. Well, they, they, made an, they put out a release where they basically say, listen, um, you know, we're obviously pursuing aggressively our desire to buy National Instrument for 53 bucks. Uh, and they've been talking to us. And, uh, you know, they've been sort of being, uh, they've commenced a real process um, we've been pleased to see engagement between the management teams and advisors for our company and their company, and therefore we're not going to try and run anybody um, for the board of directors. Yes, but um, David, it, it, was, should, it was considered to be a sham process. No, it's uh, not a sham process. And I will process. tell you as well, uh, I'm fairly confident that Honeywell has hired advisors. Doesn't mean they're going to buy. Doesn't mean they're going to make a bid. Um, but they certainly will do the work. Honeywell typically a Honeywell disciplined, was, a disciplined well, buyer when it comes to multiple they pay. The other names, Siemens, uh, mm. probably not. Keysight, maybe some antitrust issues. Fortiv, we'll see. But there are any number of look. names you can put out there as might be interested in national national instrument. This is a real process, and you can see the stock is trading a buck seven, buck sixty five above the fifty three dollar price. As I had reported earlier, at least, people close to um, Emerson had said, we're not going to pay something that starts with a six in front of it. We'll see. Okay, so uh, my travel trust owns it. I've communicated very loudly on the show, that, uh, which got back to the company, that I, I've never seen a, a deal that has destroyed so much value almost instantaneously. Uh, it's rather, this stock was at 98. You're talking about? No, you know, Emerson. When they did, when no, when this this oh, when they announced this 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 on they went hostile. I'm sorry, I just they yeah, went hostile. What absolutely. the hell are you talking about? They went hostile. Totally. And now, I mean, when you you know, I want board seats. I'm going going right now. They still I own, they're going I own stock. I filed hard, Scott. I want board seats. Two it years with the negotiation. Checked, they checked every box. They checked every box except what do you do if you're a shareholder and you get crushed, like my trust was. And you know what? I don't like it. It's wow. really bad to lose money. I learned that very early in the game. I, it wasn't even from Buffett. I learned it myself. <laughs> yeah. You lose money, bad. Self-taught. Yeah. Um, it's kind of one and done when you're down 10. I want to go home. You're yeah. Dallas. <laughs> I, I want to get you on Wayfair while we have a minute left here, Jim, because we mentioned the upgrade at J.P. Morgan. It's a double upgrade. They go from 35 to 63, uh, running a leaner and meaner house, they argue. More confident in break-even EBITDA. This year, that'd be the first time since 2020. This is the first peak above the 200-day gym since November of 21. Well, when I looked at what Wayfair's done, which is they've done a series of cuts, totaling more than 1.4 billion annualized cost actions, I have to tell you that I think Wayfair, as absurd as it is and as small as it is, is really the template of what these activists want, which is that, come on, you've been fat and happy and you're not that good. Now, Wayfair makes furniture, and Mark makes the most sophisticated cloud products there are, but... Wayfair shows you what happens if you get real serious. Yeah. Also shows you that even with a 26% rise in your stock, it's still not 
no, there, breaking there's, through. There's a big short How position. bad it's been before that. Well, but, yeah. I mean, look, Wayfair actually is one of those companies that has come through to the other side. Right. I think a lot of people, do I look at Wayfair and use their stuff? You bet. I mean, you know, I think that Wayfair is some of the stuff's better than you thought. And we really haven't talked uh, with the blackout window. We won't talk much Fed this week. But J.P. Morgan, uh, story over the weekend that seven of nine of their model indicators now show less than 50 percent chance of recession. Uh, the journal piece, of course, on the Fed graduating down to 25 basis points probably this uh, this. Well, next I meeting. think that the stocks that when I went over the stocks this weekend, the charts, the strongest are the industrials and the weakest are the food and drug. Uh, and that is a sure sign that it's a quarter point weight. Uh, people have been, uh, I, I think that the, that group that I just mentioned, the winners, bottomed in October when interest rates peaked and the dollar peaked. So I think, Carl, we have a very traditional rally among the industrials and a very wayward action in food, drug, and of course software to maybe today. Mm-hmm. As we're uh, trying to get back once again close to 4K on the S&P, uh, Dow's roughly flat. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. Good morning, guys. Happy Monday. Uh, flattish open, but there's some very clear leaders. Uh, growth is back for 2023 right now. Just take a look at the sectors. Uh, semiconductors having a nice move up. We had a Barclays upgrade of a number of big names there. Uh, energy, oil's at $82, creeping up there. That's been pretty strong. Banks are doing okay. Real estate, you know, if you look at the, the laggards out there, utilities, healthcare, consumer staples for the year. And again today, it's all the defensive sectors uh, that are sitting out there uh, uh, as laggards here. The leaderboard is mostly Tech, it's semiconductors. We mentioned that Barclays upgrade there. So AMD, Qualcomm, uh, Seagate getting an upgrade. upgrade. SWKS, Skyworks has been on fire. My heavens, they're probably, that's probably the highest level since August or September. 106 there for uh, Skyworks. Um, Other big cap tech doing really well today. Uh, We mentioned, of course, uh, Salesforce with the uh, Elliott stake there. That's doing well. Uh, Nice move up uh, on some of the other names. Uh, The Seagate upgrade as well. There's uh, what we're doing so far in 2023. This is a growth, big growth move in the first three weeks of the year here with semis up 12%, communication services, consumer discretionary technology. I mean, look at the the big moves up here. Remember, the S&P is only up uh, about 4% on the year. The laggards are all the stuff that held up comparatively better last year, healthcare, utilities, consumer staples, all trading to the downside. So definitely uh, a growth mindset for uh, 2023, at least for the start of 2023. Meantime, uh, this is the 30th anniversary of the ETF revolution. 30 years ago this week, the Spider launched SPY, as we like to call it now. Uh, This is uh, indexed to the S&P 500. Uh, It launched 30 years ago this week and started the whole ETF revolution and really expanded the indexing revolution that was begun by Jack Bogle back in the 1970s. He had an S&P index fund in 1976. But ETFs are a little bit of different structure here. So this is now the world's biggest ETF, $370 billion in assets under management. It's also most actively traded. On a daily basis, it trades north of $30 billion here. So the ETF revolution really created two things 30 years ago. And there's the uh, S&P 500, the SPY there. Uh, Number one, it created passive indexing and popularized passive indexing over active management. This had already been going on for uh, a number of years before, but it put it in a very easy wrapper. ETFs had a number of advantages over mutual funds, Carl. And the important thing, of course, easy to trade intraday, uh, lower cost than mutual funds, 
uh, and, of course, a better tax structure uh, than mutual funds. So we'll have Rory Tobin on, who runs uh, the, uh, st uh, the State Street ETF business for us uh, on Halftime Report to talk about the index revolution and the ETF business and the growth of ETFs. Carl, back to you. Thank you, Bob Pisani. As we go to break, let's uh, check out the bond report today, see how treasuries are faring. As we said, not a lot of Fed speak this week as we await the next meeting on the 1st. Uh, but we'll get some PMIs uh, this week. Also, the first look at Q4 GDP, uh, some income spending numbers, housing data headed our way, along with a third of the S&P reporting earnings. Uh, Ten-year, just north of three and a half. Back in a minute. S&P Gainer is going to be concentrated in semis today. Jim mentioned this upgrade of Barclays of a bunch of names, including AMD, Qualcomm, AMAT, uh, KLA. Shocker. Uh, and it's leading the S&P overall, along with Caesars, as we mentioned. A nice earnings beat up 5%. Dow's up almost 70 points. We'll get stopped trading with Jim in a minute. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. I, I do like uh, Matt Boss's piece very much, JP Morgan Retail. It really talks up the greatness of Nike and how January is strong. So in other words, once again, as COVID burned through, there was tremendous shopping. Now we're going into the lunar uh, period that's going to be really good. But he downgrades Levi Strauss. And I think that's important because, once again, the universe of apparel has proven very, very difficult. And remember, we, we've had companies, many companies, disappoint in apparel. And Second downgrade for Levi in about a week. B of A last week on these fears about denim not coming back. I know. So, I mean, I'm saying, I say very, stay very close to this, but Nike is the one, and uh, I don't have another. Some people feel that there's good things to say to Capri, uh, but no. Uh, Lu look, Lulu missed. I mean, Lulu sacrosanct. Yeah. You're going to celebrate your, your victory over the weekend tonight? Um, we are technically underdogs, we being the Eagles. So, I think that there's no celebration yet until we completely trash a team that everybody thinks is so darn great. And I would say that let it be that way all week. We need to play our best game. You look awfully strong. Awfully strong. Thank you. Both sides. Yeah. Don't. Purse is the most dangerous player in football team. Yeah. Great job on that, Jim. Really. It was great. <laughs> we'll see you tonight. Temperatures are a good team. They are good. Bad money, 6 p.m. Eastern time. When we come back, a lot more on Elon Musk today. Uh, set to take the stand for day two of that Tesla trial as we get a live shot outside the courthouse. Back in two minutes. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.